Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. I just want to ask one quick favor before we jump into this episode. You know, I've been organically growing this podcast for over five years, and I need your help to keep the momentum going. There's two things you can do. One is leaving a five-star rating on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Spotify is a lot easier. You'll see the rating button right at the top. Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll down the page a little bit, and you'll see a write a review button. Additionally, if you want to share this out with your audience on your social channels, text it to a friend or colleague or family member, whatever you have to do to pass this along to individuals that you find may need the help and may be looking to get started. So either of those things or both of you like would be appreciative so I can get this podcast out to more individuals and we can help more people get started and move in the right direction to a more happy and fulfilling life. So thanks again for your help and grateful to have you here on another episode. Let's get it started. On today's episode, I welcome in my great uncle, Joe Youngman. And this was quite the special conversation for me. My great uncle Joe will be 100 this year. And I wanted to gain his insight on life, you know, what he's learned in 100 years, the experiences he's had, and learn a lot more about my family. And hopefully this becomes like a time capsule that we can look back on and kind of cherish these stories and relive them over the years that he shares throughout this episode. And we definitely go on a linear path. We talk a lot about his childhood and you know how his parents immigrated to the United States and his upbringing. We talk about World War II and his time in the Navy, how he became an aeronautical engineer and some of the different weapon systems he was working on. And then we finish the conversation off on a lot of his thoughts around what's going on in the world today with the global conflicts, with climate change, and just where he sees that impacting the earth going forward. So this was quite the wide-ranging conversation. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with my great Uncle Joe. Well, I wanted to ask, so like I said, I wanted to kind of have a fun conversation and learn a little about the family and kind of just ask you some things about your life, if I could, um, if you're willing to kind of share, if that's okay. We'll, we'll give it a shot. I, my memory's not what it used to be, but... Uh... You know, when you get as old as I do, you don't, you're not much with everything. But I will try to answer questions and see how things go. Well, I'm hopeful Uh, that I asked you some questions that maybe spark, uh, you know, spark some of the the good memories um, that that you've had. Well, well, let me ask you this. I wanted to start off, so obviously with the, the family, you know, so, so my grandmother, Steffi, is your sister. Trying to piece the, the the story together here, uh, <laughs> and and with the Youngman last name. So obviously, I have the Andreco last name from my you know my grandfather, uh, but with with my grandmother the Youngman last name. Now, if I heard correctly, you actually went to Czechoslovakia and met some of our distant relatives. Is that right? That's that is correct, Florence and I. Uh, as a matter of fact, we went twice. To the Czech Republic, to, to where they Rusishka was the last name of my mother, and of course my father was Youngman, and uh, we we that's what I was trying to do was trace it down. Uh, they were of course no longer alive, and in the meantime, I found some other relatives there. So, <laughs> and, and but those are gone now too. Well, so did the family, and and because again, I'm fuzzy on the the long history. Did uh, was it your parents that 
immigrated to America, or was it their parents? When when did they come over to America? No, my it was my my father and mother in 1922 came to the United States. This is that my father had been in World War One. He had been wounded. He was with the German. Uh, that was part of Germany at that particular uh, particular time. And after when the war ended, he had been wounded. But that's uh, that's not the, when the war ended. He stayed there yet for the uh, for the formation of. Czechoslovakia, and that's where he met my mother and married her, and that was just about the same time. Uh, well, they came in 1922, and uh, I was born in 1923, uh, and my father and my mother, like I say, came. Of course, they didn't know one word of English. However, uh, we had uh, he had a couple sisters here. And uh, that's how, you know, uh, crazy got started. But that was, I was born the following year in 1923. And uh, that's how, that's how our family started here. And when he first came here, of course, my father and mother didn't know English at all. Uh, or <laughs> they just used the Czech thing. But they apparently learned quite quickly because they both, uh, what they were, what one somehow or other, and I don't know how this all happened. Of course, I was not. Uh, they start going to the high school, going uh, to high school for, to learn, uh, for you know, the language, as well as to get. They had to go five years before they got their. Uh, uh, certificates of, of being members of the nation, mm. and that all worked out. So in that time period, in that first five years that they came here, they both became citizens. It took them five years because that's what they got to do. Be here five years. In the meantime, I had been born. As a matter of fact, I think your uh, my sister Helen was about a year and a half later. And uh, in the meantime, I guess my father was getting pretty well oriented with everything. And somehow, after he'd been there for about three years, uh, he by, by now I guess he was probably had some English and all that because one of the people who was his boss, uh, E. Endicott Johnson, shoe preacher. Mm -hmm. My father was a certified uh, uh, architect, mm. but they didn't recognize that at all. However, somebody that he was working with uh, talked him into going to Florida and start building houses. And that was, that was I was I was just about two two and a half years old at that time, and uh, and your Helen had been was born at that time, so they were so here we went to Florida, but that didn't work out. I think they'd been there about 
I was just about three years old when we left there. I was about two something when I did. But that didn't work out. However, during the, when they, but this also got my father a little bit known here. So that, so he was getting a lot of other people to have to do things at their houses and everything. And he built a couple of houses and they sold them. And he built some more other houses. But he never left the, the uh, Endicott Johnson. Mainly, I think it was because of the uh, medical aspects of it. They were, the, and George F. Johnson was so far ahead of everybody. He had all his all his workers, you know, uh, be, be able to completely go to the hospital for no, no matter what the problem was, birth, like operations and all that, and pay for all that. So that was a good start for him. But most of all, all the time of my father's life, he was being called upon to do a lot of lot of work, build some houses and stuff. But he never left. He never left Endicott Johnson uh, because of the because of the medical situation, and uh, that, that that worked out for us very well. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that, a, that, that was, seems like a lot was, to nowadays when you look at that to mm-hmm. cover full health benefits. Back then, that's that's oh, yeah. that was probably an anomaly. He George F. Johnson contributed a lot to the Triple City. You know, he parks. I think parks still exist. I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, good parks. There's merry-go-rounds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so you know, the, the um, I think the whole Triple City has benefited from the fact that the shoe factory was there, his shoe factory, because he was he was very modern. He was way up ahead of anybody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you a question before we go forward, but when when did you ever talk to your parents about how they got from Czechoslovakia to? to the United States, just from the standpoint of like nowadays, it's like you get a passport, you jump on a plane, you're here in a few hours kind of thing. Now, like I got to imagine tracking all across Europe, taking a boat. Like, did you ever talk to them about that? Those, those stories of how they got here? Well, you know, the, my father was, uh, they came here in 1922. 20, so prior to that, 1908, uh, yeah, in 18s. My father was with the military for the whole time that World War One existed, but he stayed, had to stay in to help build up the new country. Hmm. And I don't know what he did, but I guess he must have done something in the way of using his architectural. Uh, Training and all, because he had, you know, he became an architect before the war became. Oh, okay. Uh, came on, and just as the war came on, the war came right after he got his uh, got his permit and all that sort of thing, and he got immediately. He was in, induced to come into the into the uh, army, 
and he was immediately put into a situation where uh, build, rebuilding bridges and anything else that was bombed out and all kinds of things. But during that, during the time he was in the war, he was also wounded. And I don't, I wounded. I, at first I thought he was probably uh, shot. He was shot in the night. But I think what he was, what it was, was a piece of shrapnel got him. Mm. And uh, but but you know, he, but but he survived that, of course. But he even. Even when the war ended, he had he somehow I don't I don't know how that happened. Somehow he stayed in to help re re fix things up in the new Czechoslovakia. That was kind of that 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 happened after you know right after the war that became uh, became a, a country of its own. And so in that in that time, 1918, right, uh, and the war, and the end of the war, and the doing things. He, so in 1922, he he and my mother got married. I think in 1921. He didn't like the situation too much there. Uh, plus, he had two sisters already here in in the Binghamton area, and apparently, it also has a, some kind of communication because 19 it was in 1922 that he had got married someplace, in, in, and must have been about in, must have been 1921 or 1922 that he and my mother were married. And they came over in 19, here in 1922, as I said before. And that's how we got started in this country. Uh, it was he. Uh, it, it didn't take long though before people worked around the neighborhood and all places where we lived recognized that not not only did he know how to how to uh, make houses and all that, which is he made some of that. But he knew how to do all sorts of repairs as well. Mm -hmm. So, so he was, (laughs) he was a busy man. He was, but I'll tell you one thing about my father. He was a very brilliant man. He, he, uh, it's hard to tell you. I mean, he he impressed me the whole my whole lifetime with what he could do and what he knew, and how he how his mind worked. It, it was a very sharp man, very sharp. Uh, but uh, he, as a matter of fact, <laughs> a little side effect here. He. Uh, when I was three years old, he taught me all the all the things how to add, how to subtract, and how to multiply. That was three years old. For a while, I thought that was quite something. You know, when I years later, but I found out one time when Florence and I went to China. 
that they were already, they were doing the same thing. They were already having kids starting school at three years old. And uh, things were working out quite well. So, But I thought for a while that was great, great. But my father did teach me all that kind of stuff before I even went to kindergarten. <laughs> wow. What uh, what are some of the fondest memories of childhood? What's that? What are some of your fondest memories of childhood? Oh, my God, I'll tell you. Uh, I think we couldn't have been in a better place. I mean, love, our street was a small street, Everett Street, still is. I mean, I think, I think there is something like about oh, 13, 14 houses all together. But there were also a lot of kids my, my, my age or uh, maybe a little older than I because I was kind of <laughs> ahead of time. Uh, so so my, my childhood was absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, not only that, but we had a lot of freedom. I got to, I got to know... All the there were quite a few guys, people there by my age. So we did a lot of things. You know, I learned how to at an early age to go down to the river and to fish. And the hills behind us, we climbed all over those hills and worked all over those hills. But a lot of all the sports we, we played. So, so I my childhood was absolutely fascinating to me. And with my father you know, teaching me all kinds of stuff, <laughs> it was just, you know, I, I never thought about anything about that. What I remember most about it by my time, though, are the friends that I had at that time. The fact that we had baseball teams, football teams, it, Climb the hills. We played off. We had games that, that we played that uh, nobody ever heard of anymore. These, <laughs> but I, I think that my childhood is so stuck in my memory. Uh, I would not trade it for anything. And we weren't, you know, there were <laughs> we were in the poor part of the of Binghamton anyhow. Of course, I never realized that. Um, but uh, my mom and my dad were such excellent people. They both quickly learned uh, the, the language to to support. So they could, it took it took five years. It, 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 it took five years to become an American citizen. You know, when you were a, a foreigner. And work for, and in the meantime, they had to learn English. They had to learn things about the political situations and all that sort of thing. But they got their they got their license pretty quickly. And uh, it, to me, living and growing up in that area, it, it just I I just prized that time. The people I met, the things that I did, 
the, the uh, even the school that I got into, uh, they're just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> we talked about your parents and how they were impactful on your life. Like, obviously, you had a great, it seems like a great childhood. Were there any lessons yes. that you could pull? Like, if there were, and maybe you used as a parent, but is there any lessons that you kind of remember that just made that a happier time? Any specifics around the the lessons they they might have done? Maybe they did it unintentionally. That's just how they were as people. But I'm kind of curious if there was anything specific you remember. Yeah. Well, they they were they learned the language very quickly. But my father and mother both were uh, well, they you know. Out, they must have learned the language long before I knew it because I think that I, when my father started teaching me, say, arithmetic or anything of that sort, it was all in English. I'm just giving you some thoughts about what my dad was. He was an excellent drawer. He could draw things out. There are things that, that to, to this day that I have that uh, that I got from uh, Rick Mahaffa and uh, everything else he had them that were unbelievable. He was also a very understanding man because he should have killed me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I had a terrible no. I mean, uh, when I, I I guess when I was about. 12 or so years old, I forget then. I had a terrible temper. Now, I never ever said, but if somebody started pushing me around, I didn't care if they were a foot high or seven foot high. They better watch out because once my temper boils over, I would turn loose, and I I remember one time I was, we lived close to a school there. Do you, you remember how our house was located? And Daniel Dixon's school was up on the hilltop, just, just about maybe a couple hundred yards, not quite a couple hundred yards uh, away from our house up on a hill. So I used to sit on the porch waiting to my time to go to school because I could get there in, in no time at all. <laughs> so, there, the problem was that every now and then I'd run across some guys that were older than I, they were, they would uh, kind of make all sorts of things. But just one day, one of them who was about two years older than I, for some reason or other, I'm sitting on the stairs waiting to go to the school. He started pushing me around, which was a big mistake because finally my temper went. And I, from that point on, I didn't care what happened to me. I was going to get him. And I got him so well that I that he started, he ran. <laughs> Away and I chased them all the way into the school, up to the second. I think it was on the second floor, out in front of the principal's office, 
but I caught him. <laughs> and who came up with the principal? She she knew me right off. The whole time I was there, I find it from that day on. And, uh, it was <laughs> but things like that. But my temper was that way till I was maybe about 12 or so, 13 maybe. And uh, nobody, I would never, I would never push anybody around. However, if they start pushing me around, they better they better stop because I didn't care what I get to hurt. Mm-hmm. They better work it. <laughs> but I got over that. And uh, uh, I, all I can say is that my childhood, I wouldn't trade for anything. And the people I knew, I would not trade. I, the fact that we lived in the poor part of the of Bayston never even occurred to me because I thought we were in the richest part. And the friends that I had, uh, you know, we, we we all gang together. It was it was wonderful. We had our football teams and our football, handball, you name a sport, we played it. We used to climb the hills up around us. The, the, the very hills at that time, there was nobody there. I mean, there was uh, that was our loading place. On top of that, there was that. I think the, the cemetery. You, you know how you were the cemetery is at the end of the street. Mm-hmm. That used to be one of our hunting grounds. Oh. <laughs> Because <laughs> there were squirrels there and things like that, that and there was there was also a, a, a little a hill up there that was more like a cliff that we used to come sliding down on uh, uh, pieces of tin. You you wouldn't believe the places that we went down. But all I'm getting at is I uh, my I enjoyed my time. Growing up there in Binghamton, I enjoyed my time in school. It uh, worked out very well for me. And uh, my my father and my mother were precious to me. And not only that, in the meantime, I had three sisters, starting with Helen, then my Josie, and then Steffi. And we got along so very well, you know. Nothing. Of course, I ignored them mostly because when they were, were growing up, because they, but I think our lives, over our lives, adult life and all, I couldn't last uh, for anybody that I, but them for my sisters. They were really wonderful, very bright. They were really, really right. They, um, you know, they were honor students all the time and uh, all that kind of thing. So I don't know if you knew them for that well, but that, <laughs> to me, they were very precious. Wow. And what was the age gap between, like, you and, and Steffi, the, the youngest? What was the age gap? That's an interesting thing. Steffi was the youngest. And I think she was probably about six or seven years younger than I. Mm. I 
I, I'd have to look that up. But I remember that all of a sudden there she was. <laughs> we were going up. Uh, I remember, let's see, where uh, when I came home from the, uh, when the war started, no, no, like after the war, war, when I came home, I was surprised at how she had, she was also, also the smallest of the bunch, but I was also uh, impressed with her intelligence. And uh, we we got along so well, and uh, uh, my my that's the thing. My relationship with my sisters, especially when we all got through with the teens, uh, it was always a strong one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they uh, we I, I wouldn't trade them for anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well. And I want I want to talk a little bit about the war and kind of get your thoughts there, World War Two too. But can you can you share just a little bit more? Like I didn't, I you know my grandmother I only I have one memory of. You know I was five years old unfortunately when she passed, um, so I didn't I didn't really know her that well. Um, could you share like how she was? Like what are any stories that that you remember of her that that you're willing to share? Well, when I let's see. When the war started, I was I was just turned sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. I was turned. I turned. Stephanie then was a bed city six years. She was probably uh, twelve or so. Mm-hmm. Twelve years old. Yeah, I liked her. She was very, very much uh, a little different. But there, <laughs> things like like trying to learn how to ride the bike, she did that right away. But when I left for the war, she was still, you know, that way. It's not until I got home, so I didn't see six years of her life, okay. or the, any of my sisters, because I was in the war in the, in the navy for six years. How though? I, I don't want to say that, that, that I didn't see him. I saw him maybe twice during that six-year period. So I miss a lot of what they're growing. They're growing up, but I do know that when, whenever we got together, we really had a great time, and I I I, I learned that. I learned about not only my sisters, but they were really my friends. And uh, so, but little by little, we, you know, the thing that bothers me more than anything else is how could I was the oldest of the family, uh, you know, of the children. How did all three of my sisters all were gone you know before they were in their old except for Helen my she's my the next to the oldest mm-hmm. she just died this past year but but Josie 
died when she was 30. And Steffi died when she was 60. My parents died in their 70s. So I don't know where I got to the fact that I'm here and I'm almost 100 years old. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, you know, I would not trade any one of them for anything. They, they were all, all still more uh, honor students. All four of us were, but, um, but during the whole time that they were in school, and they, uh, I always knew that they were bright. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I was so proud of them. Mm-hmm. And I guess we got along very, very well. They uh so but there was a six year period that uh I was away when I was in I, I had joined the Navy when when the war started and I was in the Navy for two years, two and a half years after the war was over. So, you know, there's, but uh, I, I think I got home only about twice in that time. There's one guy, though, that, you're, Helen, yes, Helen and, uh, I, I had, I was born, I had a, I was a, on a carrier, our carrier was in port, and Helen and I think it was, I guess it was Steffi came out and saw me. <laughs> so I took them around the ship and showed them the carrier, the planes, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but we were very, very, I, I, I think we were a very close family. And we were there that way all our lives. And I, I don't know. I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for a better situation. Mm. What back in the back in those days when you were younger, did you? I mean, because you look at family life now, it's so different. Everyone's running around. You barely eat dinners together, stuff like that. Did you find that, like your family, you did you have dinner every night together? Were there certain rituals that that you remember that you enjoyed that the family was together? Well, you know, the holidays, of course, were. My mother was an excellent cook. Excellent cook. She, her background was that her mother had died when she was quite young in this in Czechoslovakia. And her father had married this German gal woman who was an excellent cook. And my mother learned all her cooking <laughs> from her. And I'll tell you this, I don't think there was ever a time that I didn't enjoy whatever she made. And her cooking me uh, all the rest of my life and hers. She was that way. Uh, that was it. But on top of that, she had a one. She was very, very bright. And I, I you know, that 
it took me a while to realize that but one of the things that uh, impressed me was when 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 they were going to school uh, to get their citizenship papers early on. Before you know it, she was reading the newspapers and doing all kinds of things that I never thought. And she could solve problems that I didn't, never expected her to be able to solve. Mm. But I learned in a hurry also that she was very, very bright. And that, uh, you know, of course, when you're with the age that I was and all that sort of thing, those things never occurred to, to you, to me, or what, other than that I, I know I, I, we had a great family, and we all got along very well, and I, uh, my, uh, you know, my fa- I thought my father knew everything in the world. <laughs> So it didn't take me didn't take me long in my times of growing up to know that he knew everything. I didn't care what it was, yeah. <laughs> and I could come to him for, for a problem, and he had a way of teaching me how to solve that problem. I mean, I, I, it could be about life. It could be about doing something uh, how, or how to make something. And he had a way of teaching me things that really stayed with me. I mean, he, he would not, he would not ignore me. He would take that in the hand and he would start with the basic things, have me start doing things right off the bat, and then that sort of I realized was something that was not right. But he was an excellent teacher, and <laughs> so no, no, no one. So no wonder I learned all the math of that mathematics, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time I was three years old, multiply, divide, and tack, uh, uh, add and subtract. I, I never, you know, of course to me, I, when I was that age, I, none of that occurred to me that, that, that anything was special. Well, right, yeah, yeah, especially at that young, yeah. (laughs) You don't think about that. (laughs) So, one of the things that I did do quite well, I I did quite well in school and all the math, physics and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was because I had a father and mother who were very encouraging. They also understood me quite well. They understood my being such a, my my fiery temper and yeah, all that kind of stuff, and they helped me through all that all those situations. Yeah, and they just they they just knew these things. <laughs> I never realized until I was older and got to thinking about all these things how much they put into the family, you know, they did that and did it with such a way that we, I I think we all adored them. I I don't think my sisters felt any different 
denied about their, you know, about them. And it seems like your parents too were very hands-on, like in terms of learning, at least what I'm gathering from some of the stories that they didn't just tell you the answer. They made you go and experience it and kind of be more hands-on to learn the concepts oh. and to kind of figure it out yourself. That's right. They, they led you through the situation and so that you not just give you an answer, but how to, they, how to get to the answer and how to understand the answers. And uh, then, of course, you know, like I said, when I was growing up, all, none of that even came to my mind. <laughs> it was just that if I, if I had a question about anything, and I would ask my father or my mother, whichever one, and they would always find some way to get me to not only answer it, but to under, how to understand what the why what the answer was, and uh, it was, you know, I was very fortunate, and so so were my sisters that, that we had them. That's for sure. Well, and I want to ask you one more thing. I want to. I want. I did have a few questions about the the war. What uh, What was the favorite? Your most favorite dish your mom cooked? Do you remember? My, my my favorite what? The favorite dish, the favorite meal. You said your mom was a great cook. Like, is there something like a memorable dish that she always cooked that you enjoyed? Oh my God! How can I think of it? Everything <laughs> she made. Uh, she made when it came to cookies. There is no one else in the world I believe. They can make strudel. Oh, oh, that's that's the one thing I think to remember. Apple strudel. I love her apple strudel, and I, she had learned how to make that from her mother, who was apparently the German. And I'll tell you this: when Florence and I went to Europe. Germany and Czechoslovakia and all those places. I was looking for a place where they would have the same kind of strudel. <laughs> Hers was always the best that I ever remembered. But she, she was a that was I you know I, I remember, that's how I remember that very 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 well. And I can't think of a, anything. Well, yes. Chicken, I guess the way she made the chicken, and I love. Uh, not, not only did she get a fresh chicken, she she's the one who killed the chicken and did on the, you know put it deep feathered it and all that wow. sort of. That's how things were though at that <laughs> time. And anyhow, uh, so I uh, like I said, I don't think I remember ever rejecting anything that she made. I, I, I think <laughs> there must have been a time or something like that, but uh, but I think it's... Uh, and I learned, the one thing I learned about my mother, it took me a long, took, took me a long time over, over my years to realize that how intelligent she really was because you know, here she was, cook, wash the floors, do all that kind of stuff. 
uh, and I don't I don't remember how how much she was involved in my schooling and all. But I know that uh, some you know she would take something that I had done and look it over and uh, and approve of it or not. But whenever my father was showing me how something was done, she I she was always nearby, and she knew how to uh, get things across. So it took, like I said, I realized very early in life that she was a great cook and a very that I could talk to her about problems and stuff like that. Uh, and I never evaluated her one way or the other, other than the fact that I <laughs> I, I love both of them. So you know, they're, they're, even in their punishment ways, they were. Um, they were different, you know. I know that I know my father. Didn't, I because of my temper I had when I was maybe up to thirteen or fourteen years old. My father handled that. Uh, I, I realized quite well, and I I knew I knew that uh, that was wrong. But I couldn't help it. I, I had no control over it. And I, but I never, I never, ever, for example, started a fight. Never. Mm-hmm. But don't push me. Don't push me around. I mean, that's the minute somebody started doing that to me, they were in trouble. I don't care. I don't care if they were 16 years old or my age. The 16 was twice my age. I remember this one time, this uh, Joey Thompson. I had we were, there was a game we played. Not he was not in there, but a said, and it was uh, called Kitty Cat. And he was, let's see, he was about I don't know, maybe maybe sixteen, and I was about maybe nine or so. Um, for some reason or other, he took my kitty cat and threw it away. And, you know, he thought he was being smart and all. We played, in our hands, we had this broom handle, you know, maybe about uh, two feet long that you used to hit the kitty cat with. I put that broom handle right across his hip. Wow. <laughs> as hard as I could. <laughs> that's that's how you know because he's pushing me around. And do you know what? For for and then I ran and he was after me. And I thought, Oh my god, anytime I saw him he was gonna kill me. But you know, somehow or other he did not. He, he he ignored me to some extent, but he never, never took off after me. I know, I you know, I had him right across the, right across the hips with the with mm-hmm. boom handles on it. I could swing it. So, so I had some good people around me <laughs> who understood that 
I never started in Asia, never. But you better not push me around. That was that. That was, you know, it was. If you start hitting me, I don't care if I got murdered. <laughs> you always gonna get your one way or the other. <laughs> Fortunately, as I got into the teens, you know, that disappeared. But uh, it was in that between 13 and 50 years old that I apparently I went to that particular. That's how I remember it. I uh, kind of thing in phase in my life. I know that uh, I didn't get into many fights, but the ones I got, I just never started. And uh, it was, <laughs> well, it was one time we had the family living upstairs, Tomans. They had the, they had two boys, uh, and one one was one was my age, and one was younger, Jerry and Paul. Paul was you. I know that one day, um, there was a bunch of us. We were playing something or other. The tobacco kids. No, there was a bunch. One thing is, next day I know, the Bacchus boy, Vernon, was pushing Tom, the older one, around. And I said, hey, Vern. <laughs> I said, I knew Vern. We were good friends. I don't know what riled him. But the, the, he stopped pushing him around. They started pushing me around. Now, he's about a year older than I am. Well, one push more, and that was it. We got into a fight, and I beat the heck out of him. He was, he was black, okay? This is this is another part of the thing. That, and he had a number of brothers and sisters. He had a... Well, he had a brother, Robert, who was maybe at that time uh, 15 or 16, maybe 16 or so, who apparently had, he was different when it came to, different than the younger guy. And he got all upset that I, Robert, that I beat up his brother. And he came over to me. This was the next day. And he said to me, I want you to get up there and get into another fight with my my brother. He said, I, I said, Jesus, I, I didn't want to fight his brother anymore. I, we, we had our deal. And I, but he dragged me. Over there, that this uh, this is this I've learned more about him now than I ever had yet before that. And he called Vern over, and he says, "I want you guys to go and finish this fight." I said, "Do we finish it yesterday?" <laughs> I said, "I don't want to fight Vern," and he didn't want to fight me, but he forces a fight. 
And uh, well, once I got into the fight, Jordan had no opportunity. But I learned something in a hurry. Apparently, there were there. The Byrne had older sisters, the three of them, two older brothers, and. The, the, the difference was between the older ones and the younger ones. The older ones all seemed to have some kind of a thing. And I, of course, in my, as time went on, I realized that they were feeling the bad bad things about white, white people because they were, they were working and doing this kind of thing. They got ex, were exposed. That way to other people than those who are on our street, and I have learned from that to to totally smokes. What the heck? Why are these people all, all against these? I never thought about them as black. I well, they were black. I never understood why they were being mistreated. I mean, I, I noticed the mistreating, though, as I grew older. And saw that how they were, you know, how they were being treated, and that that that's that has stayed up with me since that time. I never had any bad feelings about that. I I like Vern and I to steal his father's boat and go on the river. Let's see what we're we maybe we're maybe about nine or ten years old. <laughs> So we 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 ended up still being the good good fight, but when the war started, I didn't realize that there was that kind of a situation in the Navy, Navy Army, and there was not much of an Air Force at that time. Uh, they uh, they got into the bad part. Of and I never saw, except the, except the, 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 the people who were cooking and cleaning and all, that they were black. I went to Mexico. There was not a black person there. And I got to be an aviation machinist, an aircraft mechanic. And also, uh, and in the when I went through, I got went through the school, then I got sent down to Corpus Christi. Where we're trying to, it was a time when we were still flying biplanes. I mean, they were flying biplanes. That was our war thing, but they were also uh, getting. Uh, new plane, newer plane now who were that were single wing and all that kind of stuff, and we were getting couple we're going to get a couple to learn how to work work on our. But the thing was that uh, we, I didn't realize that we were being so taken to. But the minute I got to Corpus Christi. I, in in about a month or so, I became a third-class aviation machinist. Something that took four or five years in the regular Navy at that time to even get near that. 
that's how much that's how, that's how much they, they needed us anyhow. So, you know, being in that in that part of the thing, uh, also this gives me a better view of the war. The war, it was war was just getting really underway when we were losing a lot of pilots and everything. But we were also getting a new airplane, and these. The guys who were going through the flight program, it took maybe about, usually it took a year, but it took about eight months this time. You know, they would come there and they would, they would get, they were always knew how to fly by the time they got to Corpus Christi, but they were getting into the very, very meat of the war planes. And they finally, when they, but this is when they finished that, that's when they got their wings. Their, they had already learned, got the knew how to fly, but they got their wings because they got, were now flying very special airplanes, and now they were going to be entering the war. Did you, did, Uncle Joe? Did you fly? Happened. Did you fly the planes? Oh, I flew in the plane. Okay. That time. Okay. That, that, at that time, I flew in the plane. Yes. Later on, after I had been at Corpus Christi for about a year or so, maybe a year and a half, I saw a little note I went on the board board where it said I was asking for people to take, you know, join the uh, Air Force, uh, Navy Air And uh, it was just a piece of paper. And I said, holy smokes, that's great. So I uh, but I, I went in, into the talk to my commanding officer, and I said, "I said, can I apply to this?" He says, "You know, yeah. He says, "Yes, but don't. <laughs> I don't think you, you'll get in there because uh, it's just a you know a normal kind of thing." But I did apply, <laughs> and. Now, oh, the other thing that was happening was during the time I was there, every month that I was there, I would go into the, 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 their office and I would say, I want to go to sea. Mm. And they would laugh. <laughs> They're not going to let me do this because they need me. They need me and everybody else just like me. I said, not just me. I would, don't, don't get that wrong. Anybody who was Derek Wright mechanic was a very well, very needed person at that time because we were, the Navy was just learning that that's, that's the way the war was going to be fought, mostly. And that's going to be very important. So we got, I got a, a rating, a third class rating, like I said, first aviation machine say third class within Five months of the time of the war, where it took usually three or four years, and not only I want to say I, I was, not, I was not the only one. Everybody who was an aircraft mechanic, that's how they. That's what they, what happened. They they were getting it, and so we were, <laughs> you know, we 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 were really treated very well. We were part of the part of the group. That's <laughs> what whenever the, the pilots said. A party or something else. We were the part of that party, mm. and uh, 
that was that way. Uh, that was that way the whole time that I was in the Navy. The whole, I was in like six years. When I got with, I think I got with a fighter squadron. Um, right after after I got, uh, well, I had gone into the into the flight program, and that's when I got very badly hurt. Not an airplane crash, but an obstacle course. And they were going to dis. The doctor was going to have me discharged from the service because he couldn't do anything. I had hurt my knee, and it got caught. There's there's this triangular uh, obstacle course that had these uh, logs spaced about about, six or seven inches apart. They went into this triangular thing that was maybe about six foot high, and that was part of the obstacle course. And what I had learned was, and I was going through this program, was that the best way for me to do it is leap up on that about the third or fourth rung and then leap over the top of that and I'd go. Well, this sign, it was just practice for me. I mean, I, I was not doing anything. I, had to, I, I, I wanted to get a good grade. I leaped, and my foot, the, 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 I guess it had rain. My, when I leaped up on it, my foot got went through between the bars, these mm-hmm. um, things, and I twisted around. To such a bad, I, th- I thought I broke my leg, knee, you know. But somehow I, I had a trouble disengaging myself from the thing because I was upside down now, and that was the, that was about the fourth rung. So you know, I was upside down. My leg was twisted inside that deal. When I got out, I had a shake. Well, by the time. That evening, I couldn't get I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. So they took me over to see the doctor, and they said, "Oh my God, they couldn't." They they took an X-ray and stuff like that. It was a mess. But they were going to be put me into a, a program to try to fix that up. Well, I I had a I had a uh, chain get away from the regular program and I do certain things that they wanted me to do. And then they would check me. And then this one time, the doctor says, I'm going to have to discharge you from the service. Here I was. I had learned how to fly already, but I was was going into the higher portions of the thing. Um, but I had not learned all the maneuvering stuff that he had to be a pilot. And I said, holy smoke. I said, I don't want to get discharged. He said, well, that's all I can do. But two days later, I got called, and my commanding officer, who I Hardly knew at all. Then I knew he was my commanding officer. So we sat down with the doctor, and he said, the doctor told told him and me, he said, 
I've tried. I, he says, I can't recommend anything. He, he, he says, all I can recommend is, all I want to do is have him discharged, going back to the service. The, my commanding officer said, why can't I just keep him here for a while and see what, I, what we can do with him? And he says, no, I've got to have him this time. The doctor said that. They finally they talked and talked, and finally, finally the doctor said, that's the doctor, my Bitcoin and all of it. Here's, here's, here's what we come to this. The doctor won't discharge you now. He says, but... Well, so going to send you home for, for a month, and uh, then we'll send you to the Navy uh, doctors, you know, to, to get, get checked out. And that'll be in, Cal- in Colorado, not Colorado, Colorado, yeah. Uh, but you got you have a month, so anything you do, see your doc, see a doctor that might help you. Uh, then, then we'll let you go back into your service that you were in before with your third, third class aviation machines to me. So I went home. I was all the way on the West Coast when all this happened. Mm-hmm. It was brutal. I, they didn't fly me. They sent me on the train four days. It was the most awful time that I had or when I got home I could hardly wait the doctor when I got home my mother took me to he said well that's a very bad thing it's going to take a long time for it to get fixed up he said there's nothing I can do he said but the way he is acting you know talking about me well <laughs> okay 30 days went by I'm not any better than I was the day I got there and I had a report to Chicago to a, to a, to a Navy medical place and I had to go through a program of uh, uh, to you know get examined and all that sort of thing well I'm had one heck of a time. I, I go in by train, and the, the, not by plane, but by train because the planes weren't flying that way anymore at that time. As a matter of fact, you hardly saw a plane before the war. Mm-hmm. It, it was very, very, that was, I uh, got into the to see the med, the medical person. It was a first class uh, guy. Uh, he was not a full doctor. He just, and he's the one that gave the gave, gave the gave me my medical my exercises and stuff. That is, wow! I didn't know I could do certain things as long as I didn't have to choke out or anything. Well, one of the things they had to do was these knee bends, where you got down and hunched down, uh, and you know. Wow, 
there's no way in the world I could do it. However, when he said, when the when he gave me the command to do that, every time he looked at me, I, I looked see I was coming up, but I could only shoot down a little bit and then go back up. He, could, he was not watching me, so because he was not watching me, I went and go down and stand up, stand up, stand up. So he never. I could never go all the way down to where he wanted me to go, but he didn't know that. He just saw me coming up. So he passed me. And, oh, I was so sore. <laughs> well, I'm going to bother you with this. With this, with this. He, he said, okay, you're okay. You can go back into the Navy. But what happened was when I was going to sign all those papers that I had to sign, for some reason, they had me down as a lieutenant commander. Now, a lieutenant commander, that's a pretty good rate uh, to be <laughs> in the Navy, to be that kind of a, a medical, you know. And I said, I said, gee, I said, I'm not a, I'm not a Commander, lieutenant commander, I'm an aviation machinist, mate, second class. <laughs> they, said, they said, oh, God, we're going to have to do this all over again. And I said, what do you mean? Well, we're going to send you back to the testing. I said, no, you don't. I absolutely wouldn't let them do that. So they finally changed the papers and had a whack you know, swore me in back into my second class aviation machine at that time. And I was back in the Navy again. Not cured. And I didn't know how I was going to even do this. But what I got, I got assigned to a seaplane group. They had these planes the engines to get to, you had to climb a ladder, uh, you know, up there. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody there questioned me, the fact that I limped and all that sort of stuff. You know, I was given, uh, told when, when there was a plane that needed to be fixed. Now, when, when there, there were always planes that had to be fixed. But I always had to find a way to get to the, up that ladder and get in to work that worked on the plane. I did that. And I was and I, I went, was sent I was sent to uh, Brazil to do all that. Why? The by the time I got back from there, the war was coming pretty close. And then, now that I had been in the Navy but for four, three and a half, four years by that time. Uh, but I got, from that, I got sent, I, I got through that, and got sent back into the United States. And now they, that's when they assigned me to a brand new carrier. When I got, I, so I went down there 
and I got I was assigned to a uh, with a uh, the fighter group, mm. fighter planes, and we had because the squadron had four four different types of people: torpedo planes, bombers, dive bombers, uh, control, and uh, fighters. I was with the fighters. Wow, they had the we. So we got uh, so I got in there. That was in the, I was on on that ship for two and a half years. In the meantime, I was getting to a point where I, I could get in. I could get I could get in and out of an airplane, which was very necessary because I had flight pay. <laughs> and I, I had that so I fooled them all. But by the by the time I got on that ship, I was. Much better, better shape than I was before that. Wow! But that was my life in the Navy. <laughs> well, you know, it's so it's interesting as you share that story. It's just how, you know, life, just how weird events, and and we don't know what the alternative would be. But imagine you fail that test, or maybe back in in Texas, the Uh-oh. you know, the, you get discharged at that point initially, like how different your life would have been potentially. Oh, by- absolutely, absolutely. My, I, I can't understand my whole life as it is. That's the, that's the problem, part of it. I didn't know I would get into the kind of things that I got into. Yeah. Uh, but geez, when I, when I got aboard the ship, I could at least hop around on the wings and get in inside of the airplane. That. I, you know, when I was fixing them up, I had to get in there and then run it up and all that kind of. Not uh, I, other people did the same thing. Okay, that was our job: keep the plane flying, make sure there. And I also got I had flight base, so I had to go up as a passenger in the in the, in, in the gun 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 positions. But the the thing that happened was that. Uh, with, with that, with, with that group, was it? Wow, it was it was the best part of my whole Navy career. I mean, I never thought that I, I always wanted to go aboard ship. When I first got aboard, our first place to go was the Mediterranean, right after the war. Right, there were sunken ships all throughout the Mediterranean. It was it was a mess just to get in and out, and uh, we were there to kind of work, you know, different kind of things. Our ship was making trying to keep Russia at bay, and um, they that, that that so we used to alternate in going into the Mediterranean uh, with. Uh, other other carriers, then we would be sent back to the states, and then we would go probably uh, to, to to other parts of the parts of the world, and then come back and go back up and make a Mediterranean. So you just see that <laughs> I was in a very very uh, in a, in, a problem, in an area that was had a lot of work, but but. Uh, but I enjoyed it. 
And I, I think that that time aboard the ship was the crowding time. And I'll tell you how it ended. We, we, we had just come into port from Europe. And we, I was up on the, the, the ship was still in the, in, in the water, at bay outside of the, the place where we were. And uh, it was, I guess we did a few days there. And I had a job on the plane that was, uh, that was on the flight deck. I was up there on the flight deck working on that plane. And the, the, our, our the, the second commanding officer in our squadron came by and he, he says, uh, we talked for a while, he asked how things were going and all that. He says, aren't you supposed to be coming out of the Navy pretty soon? And I said, My, oh yeah, I think so. I think it's probably another five or six months. He says, are you sure? I said, well, I think so. Well, he went back. We were still boarding the ship. Pretty soon he came running back. And he says, young son, get your ass off of that airplane. You should have been discharged two weeks ago. (laughs) I said, well, we just came in. I said, I, I said, are you sure? He says, I know. He says, we got to get you out of here. Now, I when I so when I went to see the head of our commanding officer before I left, uh, he he said he asked me, he says, young man, what do you want to do? What are you gonna do? I said, I don't know. I think I'll probably come back to the Navy. He says, here's what he did. He said, Joe. Now, he never called me Joe. We all got called by way of last name. He says, think about it, Joe. You've got 90 days. He says, we don't, 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 not 90 days, 30 days a month. Think it over. If you want to come back, we'll be glad to have you back. Good and we'll give you better than that. He said, why don't you think about what you might want to do instead of thinking you're going to do it. He said, have you thought about maybe going to school? Well, I had not really thought about going about that. But I took his, I took his, I said, okay. I'll give myself 30 days. If I can't get into college somewhere, and I don't know. He said, what would you do? I said, I think I'd become an aeronautical engineer or something. That's what I know that. He says, that's a good idea. He said, well, check it out. And don't forget, if you want to come back here, we'll be glad to have you. But do that. Think about it. That man is the one who's responsible for my further life. Wow. If it wasn't for him, I would have been back in the Navy. And also, I had a lot of help. When I got home, 
um, my mother was oh so happy to have me, and I I told told her well I I said I have thirty days before I go back in, but I'll check out this business and go to a school somewhere. Now before that time, you know, before I left when I was younger, they didn't have all this aviation stuff at school. In fact, they were hardly they didn't even have uh, planes that you could get into and rent. You know. That was that was a time when the guy uh, there were Amelia Earhart and all those people. There were no 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 uh, planes that you could just go. I guess you could rent a plane if you had the money to do it, but but there were no flight flight programs at at all. Right. Well, so here I am. I've got uh, I've got this time to. Choose. I I choose three. Uh, I well, first of all, I didn't I, I didn't know know how to start when I got home about how to go to the school and all that. My mother said, "Well, why don't you go see the the, the uh, principal of the high school?" I just said, "Gee, would he see me? She 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 thought that he would." So I went there, and it was the best thing that I could have done. He uh, asked me, well, we talked quite a bit about it. He was finally realized that aviation was probably the thing that I wanted. He said, you know, the schools, there were not too many that that had aircraft aviation, people that would become aeronautical engineers. So there are not many schools that had them. So she said, well, let's see, there's uh, Cornell that has this, uh, Notre Dame and a place in St. Louis, St. Louis University. She said, uh, she said why don't you just apply with them to see if they'll take you? And I said, well, how do I do it? Well, she, she helped me fill out all the papers. I'm telling her she was she was a great everything. I said or submitted my my recommendation my things to the three places. Because there were not many others that had some were just starting up or something. Mm-hmm. Well, I got accepted at all three. And I wanted to go to Cornell more, but Cornell and North Notre Dame had waiting lists now because they were kind of people coming out of the service and had already been signing up. So I would have had to wait uh, another month or two before I could even go there, think of going there. And I said, but not, but, uh, other school. I started at St. Louis University. They said, yes, you could start right in January. That was at the end of my 30 days. Mm. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, that is great. I said, I'll be, I appreciate the fact that you're going to accept This is my fault. Except when I told my mother that, I was going to be going to St. Louis University. Uh, 
<laughs> you couldn't see somebody that was any happier than she was. <laughs> but that was that's how my life started. And from that point on, I don't know how my life got up to where it went. What did you do for your main career? My well, immediately upon graduating, I was picked up by uh, North American Aviation, which was one of the best places. To, and I got sent to where to start. We're gonna have to come up with a brand new fighter plane. Okay, mm-hmm. what a you have no idea. What a start that was! How lucky, how lucky I was. So I was assigned, and they asked me what I wanted to do. I said, "Well, I want to be in aerodynamics." And the guy that interviewed me—I mean, I didn't interview them; they interviewed me. They came to the school and interviewed. Everybody came to the school. I was interviewed by about five or six different places. Uh, they're the ones that were the only ones that would. Uh, I they asked me what I like to do. I said, I want to be in uh, air, airline, uh, aerodynamics. They said, you, we, we, the only thing I could promise you is we, you, you would be on the board and be, be joined. But he says, he's the only one that said, however, the chances are pretty good that you might be able to get in right, right into the aerodynamics. That's when I found out they were in Ohio. But I thought that was great. So here I came to this place. They had a brand new contract, absolutely, to go and make up, come up with a fighter plane that they wanted to do a certain thing. Now let me put one more thing in the way. At that particular time, nobody could fly through the sonic barrier. Okay, so this plane was supposed to fly up to be able to fly in the tran- what they call the transonic region, and uh, they said. Uh, so when I got I got there, I learned all this stuff, and they said they put me in their dynamics group, and I went through everything with that plane right from the start. Right into the design, right into the testing and the tunnels, right into the whole flight program. It was just a marvelous, marvelous thing for me. And uh, when that was all over, it took about two, two and a half, three years before we got the planes all, all, all done and gone to, gone to the Navy. And then they slowed down in the aircraft business. And, and Uncle Joe, sorry to I I, I, not to interrupt. I'm just just to place a time. What year was this about? After you kind of went through that two to three year program there, and what what year are we talking? That was 1960. Okay. 1960, when I got accepted to go to a place I never expected to go, I was General Electric. And that was a place that I had go, that tried to get me for, for for two or three years before that. And I said, you, know, you, don't, you don't make care They said, we, we need air and I didn't know what for. But 
when things slow down in general uh, at uh, North American, I was work. I started. I had work to do, but it was not all the all the best stuff that I, th I would like to do. I got a call from a friend of mine who was working for General Electric. This uh, I already had two two times that they sent over the past two years trying to get me to come. And he says, Joe, he says, I can't tell you much. He says, but why don't you come here and just just get an idea what you know what you might be doing here. I said, Well, they don't make airplanes. He said, Well, well he said, Well, don't worry about that. So I agreed I would come out there. And I went out there and they 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 had an aerodynamics loop. That was the first thing that I knew. They had aerodynamics so that there was something that was going on. And I got interviewed by about four other outfits. And they all wanted me to come to work for them. But I said, um, I finally said, I'll think about that, but I'll come to work for If I come to work, it'll be for the aerodynamics group. <laughs> well, so life happened. I that and, and I, this that was 1960 when I resigned from general from um, uh, my my job. I hated to do it because I loved the place, but mm -hmm. we were not doing too much with airplanes. We were doing with rockets and stuff. Uh, I arrived at General Electric. I, first of all, I, I got picked up at this airport by this friend of mine who kept telling me to come down there and be mm -hmm. talking to people. He picked me up and took me to his house, and I stayed there all night the next morning. We reported General Electric. Well, the first thing they put General Electric did was put me to a whole bunch of exams. And I, I said, what, what's going on? I said, he says, well, just take those. And I mean, they were really quite quite a job. Uh, anyhow, I took these exams. Well, there were about three other groups that wanted me to come to work there. Mm -hmm. I said, they, 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 but they, they didn't do aerodynamics or anything that I know of. But I went to interview, interview with the aerodynamics people. Well, I was when I when I got there before even before even before you got to talk to you. I was the very very first day. This guy took my friend took me there. I, you know, I, I I was going to be going back to the Columbus, Ohio, the next day, and I was going to stay with Sid. I never got out of the General Electric until eleven o'clock, and they said, "Look, here's what we need you to do right now. We have this pro we have this uh, uh, thing that pro program we're trying to get." 
is for this uh, for a thing that will do this. It was an airplane, and uh, uh, we want you to to take care of that, to be in this. I said, holy smokes. <laughs> I said, I don't know anything about supersonics. I said, we're just trying to get through transonic. Somebody, in the meantime, they had just somebody went through transonic. And just, uh, but that first day that I was there, I was there till 11 o'clock that night, and I said, I didn't know you having a, a place to stay. But Sid, who took me, had with me, he says, yes, you have. He said, oh, come on to my house. <laughs> but that was my start. And I, I started right off the bat in having to reply about a particular plane. And, oh, in <laughs> <laughs> so I always put to work on that, and I had to design it. I said, I don't know anything about super hypersonics. They said, well, here's something you can Don't worry about this. Come up with a plane. Well, I saw that it, I saw the, the requirements that the plane had and what it had to carry, what it uh, how fast it had to go and all that sort of thing. And I I knew it was going to be a real flick plane because it was because of high speed and all that. And I never had designed anything that would should be on to be on transonic region. Well, I designed the plane, and they said, "Okay, uh, take it to to to, to thermodynamic people." I took it there every get the, 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 they looked at it and said, This is gonna burn up. I said, What? It's gonna burn up. I said, Well what do what what do I do? They said, Well, we're not quite sure how we're gonna fix this plane up to be able to fly. And one of the guys piped up, he said, Did you have her have a uh so I'll look at such and such a thing. I said, no, I said, I've never even heard of it. There, there's a guy who thinks that, you know, if you do something to the leading edges and stuff like that. So I finally said, yeah, I ended up making some kind of water water design. And that was it. From that point on out, I never saw another thing for an airplane. Just with missiles that delivered uh, atomic weapons, I said, "Well, he said, well, look, we want you to learn about what what, what, what reentry is all about, and once you get, we'll, we'll get here, here. Here's they gave me the information about what the reentry vehicle, which was not not a, it was a." ballistic system, what it required and how it required and how it got it. So I got I had I got a program that I got a thing for one requirement so I had a design of a, a ballistic missile for that. And uh, I had to go through all that kind of stuff. Then uh, 
after after I had gone through that a couple of times, I, I wondered, where is this airplane taking us? <laughs> I'm going to be organized. Well, I didn't realize it, but I was just being taught about reentry and how drastic it was and what it took to survive a ballistic system just to get in and put deliver. But there are certain kind of materials that you can use and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, well, I, I got that picture. So I got one day I got called by my manager. He says, "Okay, Joe." He said, "The time has come. We've got this proposal that we have to put in for a reentry system that has to do this, that, and the other thing." Well, to me, that was an airplane. <laughs> but it had had to go out into space. It had to come back and had to uh, survive, you know. And how, what kind of materials? I, it couldn't be ballistic. Well, they gave me a group of guys. And I thought about it, and I said, well... The thing that I know is the ballistic system survives with this kind of thing. So I wondered if I could take that particular thing and change it so that it can be ballistic, I mean, not maneuver and all that. And I had my guys and I, we worked on that. For, we took it to ground to, to uh, uh Wind tunnels, there, there, there were not wind tunnels that could grow up to these speeds at all. So the highest one was Mach 10, which is already out of this world. Oh wow! And we took it there and got through, and I finally that's that was the design that I finally came said, okay, that's what it is. The People who were in the flight programs, where they had to put it on the missile and go out into space and come back in and do all they're supposed to do. Now it was time for us to go through that. First of all, what they did was coach me to get acquainted with what kind of materials were needed out in space. And what they were, how they work, and all that. They put me to uh, uh, to work on a couple of reentry things that were all uh, just carrying a bomb, and how to, what how to get, to get acquainted with the materials that are that were needed for, for reentry, mm. and. Uh, so once I, once I guess they thought I knew enough about that, I got called in. <laughs> I'd only been there for a while. <laughs> I got I got called into the office and I said, "Okay, here's what we want from you. We want you to come up with this reentry system thing that could do this, that, and the other thing." And it's you know not not been done before, but uh, 
they told me that I had gotten acquainted with materials and heating and stuff like that from the jobs they gave me for making it. But now they wanted something that would be much, much, much more difficult. And uh, <clears throat> that was my start. So it was a good idea, though, that I got involved in coming up with some things that reentry and had to uh, come up with the heat shields and all that sort of kind of thing because I got to learn a little bit more about uh, the capability. It did not solve the problem, though, that I had because this was a very complicated vehicle. Mm-hmm. How, but it also gave me a view into which way I might want to go in in developing that thing. So, But they gave me a couple guys, and uh, they said, okay, here, you, use them to help you get to the program. They're yours to command. <laughs> and I got going on that, and uh, I kind of uh, stuck with reentry things that they already had and trying to see how I could make them do what they wanted me to make them do. And uh, that led to, <laughs> that was quite a program. We ended up finally, I so I had come up with some, uh, an, an idea using some stuff that we already knew about and trying to incorporate what I had had in order to do the mission. And uh, so I, it was amazing because <laughs> they left me alone. <laughs> and I, but I had learned more about uh, the materials and stuff. And I learned more about the various people who were involved in the nuclear stuff. And um, so I kind of knew who to go to for you know, certain things that I, had wonders about you know, and how I'm going to get around them. And that, let's see, that took about, oh, about a year, about two years, I guess, until we got finally to the point where we were, and had to go out in space, had to come, you know, had, had to be, re, had to re-enter, had to maneuver around, and uh, so I had to do not only go out in space, but I also had to do things that were more difficult. It was come back from space mm-hmm. and re-entry into very, 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 under very, very difficult conditions. Wow! But but we did this, and we got to uh, test it, and it, and it worked. But it was for the future, okay? Just as a matter of fact, this is the future. <laughs> but I knew that, uh, I mean, it was it was successful. That's, that's all I got to say. It was successful. Did not, they did not incorporate it into anything because it was for the for a future particular kind of problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one, well, as time went on, and, and the years went by, I, you know, was it a group of guys that you know, 
we always met once a month. Maybe I, I had told you that, right? Right. And and let's see, about four years ago, uh, I kept I kept in touch even after I after I uh, got got my freedom yeah. from working. <laughs> I used to meet with the guys uh, from who worked in, under these kind of conditions uh, once a month. And, you know, we would go and have some breakfast and stuff like that. And then we would meet and talk. And uh, it was there in one of those sessions. And I guess it's, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's now about three years ago, really, that this happened. And this is now this is I've been out of uh from 1987, the Florence and I had retired. That's when I, mm-hmm. So it was from that time, you know, that all, all this stuff was. And then there was a, these guys were still working at General Electric for on kind of very, very, all kind of things. And that was when one day, when when uh, when we went to one of these breakfasts, one of the guys told me, he says, Joe, do you remember that thing that you worked on back in 1960? Oh, I, I said, oh, yeah, how could I forget that? <laughs> he says, well, it's back in view. <laughs> and... See, that's all he could tell me because all all this stuff was secret, but I knew what he meant. And uh, do you mean the they, do you mean the you know, we are starting to use that technology public facing, or it's something that was a project that was brought back up internally? It was it was not dropped off. It was put into the. the uh, that we knew it was a vital thing for the past, for the future, mm-hmm. okay. And the future that was coming up was not that far away anymore. I mean, you know, um, several years had gone by at least then, and uh, it was coming back into view. I that's all I was told. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they've done. I do know, though, that they were running various kinds of tests. And I could understand from what kind of tests they were running, what what they were doing. And so I knew that there might be some modifications to the things that I had come up with. But they liked it very much because it was it had proved reentry under very serious conditions which which uh, were needed for you know in the for, for this thing to accomplish whatever mission that they were mm. but that that was you know that was what maybe it was about about three or four years ago that this happened that I told you about I've been I'll, I'll be almost three years here and of course I've been retired since <laughs> since I was about 67, I guess it was. So many years have flown by yeah. <laughs> since the, that was developed. But what we knew at the time, and they knew at the time, that this was 
for future consideration. Very important because of the situation that they expected, and it's here. Uh, you know, the, if if Russia continues the way it is, Russia is the important key to this whole thing. Mm. If we get into a situation where we're going to use these systems, this world is in very bad trouble. Our world as we know it. Oh, wow. Because if they... Well, yes. And who trusts Russia now? Well... I think they're, oh, whatever is going on. Of course, Russia has 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 the same capability that the United States had for uh, for travel and reentry with weapon systems into this into our world. So the two and now even uh, Korea, South Korea has been, North Korea, I mean, has even been, it's coming into the picture, and those are very bad characters, and it's, you know, it would scare the heck out of me if they don't, if they don't come to some kind of conclusion and start working on how we can keep this earth from falling apart under us. But that's, well, you've seen through a lot, you know, obviously with, with your life, you know, you've been, well, I guess when, I guess you were born after World War One, but obviously with World War Two and Vietnam and, and obviously everything that's gone on in the Middle East and, and now with this, like, what, what are you, what, I mean, you've seen obviously a lot of, you know, some of us that are younger, even I'm 40 and, and people that are way younger than me, they haven't, they've only know so much of history. Sometimes it gets forgotten. What do, what is your assessment of what's going on then, like in Russia, Ukraine, kind of that conflict? How does that relate to what it was back in, a long time ago, or is it way different? That's the thing that bothers me more than anything. I'm very concerned because here we are, two, two unions, two pieces, Russia and the United States that are so advanced in we're outside the world travel and all that, and have re done all kind of testing with reentry stuff that would be very very critical in any kind of a war developed between us. So critical that you think that we probably this this war could not survive it. And that's what bothers me right now is how much longer is Russia going to tolerate us trying to stop them from doing what they're doing right at the present time with their war. They haven't resorted to any any kind of a nuclear system against this country, that country, probably because it's too close. But various versions of it could be very, very dangerous. And I nobody seems to be able to trust the Russian guy himself. He is the guy between us and them. We are the ones who could determine what's going to happen to this world. Mm. And I am that... It's it's very, very scary. How And I know this. 
those guys that I used to meet with, a lot of them have also retired with others in their place. But I know from what they were doing, they were carrying on all the stuff that was, you know, that we had talked about before. Even though we couldn't talk about it, we didn't. But I know that they were developed for carrying on from where I had left off. And that, the, the, that our country has continued with, the, with, with that kind of stuff mm. so that we could at least be protected. But if we, if we get into kind of anything, anything where nuclear devices are starting to be used, God knows what's going to happen. We're already in trouble with this universe. We do this, the things that we have done <laughs> yeah. and are doing now. Yeah. But that, you know, that's about as much as I can tell you about it because uh, uh, I just want you to know that that, that well, you, holy smokes, it was 1987 or 89 that. I left work. The stuff that is over thirty years yeah. now. Yeah. But I know because I was in, I've been in touch, and still am, with guys who are working who worked there when I did, and new guys who came in. That none of that stuff work has stopped. Yeah. There's also I know the concerns and all that kind of thing. So even though they couldn't can't couldn't can't tell me what they're doing and all, I I do know just from the questions they ask me every now and then that they're still continuing on with that same thing. The biggest factors were to make something that could go out of this be launched, go out of this world, come back and survive very, very serious uh, conditions that you had to be able to handle. And I think we got that covered. They continued. Don't get me wrong. After, After we did all those other tests, Tests continued on various kind of versions of that vehicle, and some of those are become, becoming a little, making it a little easier, making it a little, little less complicated than the one that I developed. That I developed, but it looks like the same thing. <laughs> and when you say ve- when you say vehicle, are you talking like what 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 y'all were working on? Whatever you can share, you said it's a weapon. Is that car- oh, is that carrying that's something? That's a weapon. It, oh yeah, the bomb. Right, but is the vehicle the like nuclear, a the nuclear it, system? And it goes out into space. Is able to come back and avoid all kind of problems. Come back to very, very, very difficult uh, environment, and but and deliver the, the bomb that we the, the nuclear bomb. Well, let me ask a novice that, question: Why does it have to go out to space to come back? Why can't it just be shot from Earth? Well, for one thing, it's 
hard to hard to catch, get down, knock down. Secondly, it's a very quick and uh, you know it's it keeps the thing safe. Okay. And we there are other systems that are that have been developed that are that can be very deadly to to to, to if we just stay within the earth earth system. Uh, it's so hard. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into it because of all the things that were involved in secrecy, but uh, but the environment that is. First of all, it would be very, very difficult in any way to stop any vehicle that's un- coming in under those conditions. Uh, no matter what, first of all, you have to know where it's going and all that. But, but nevertheless, even if it, even if they're at the place where it re-enters, it's got to be able to get that thing before it hits the earth. Mm-hmm. And time, we're not talking about hours. We're talking about minutes and seconds mm-hmm. for this thing to re-enter and do it all. This. So, so trying to you know stop something that's coming in under those conditions is very very difficult. And I'm sure that uh, all these years that I had not been working in both. Our people and there are other countries like South Korea or North Korea, I mean, that I think North Korea, in my mind, is more dangerous at this particular time than Russia, even though Russia has all the capability and has all these weapon systems available for themselves right now. Mm. That's, but the, you know, it bothers me. It bothers me that right now, when we have what we know that this world is, we have caused a lot of problems in this world that are causing all these changes in our weather system, are causing all the systems, you know, things that are really uh, dangerous for us. That we should be able to get, we should be getting together closely, all of us, all this world, anybody who's involved and has any, uh, you know, any um, number of people, citizens and all that, to try to overcome the changes that we are causing in our system, in our world. And they're very, I mean, I, I have noticed this myself when just growing in a, since I went through life and watching things change in this world of ours, in our country of ours. And I was very, for some reason or other, I was very much in touch with all this kind of stuff. It bothered me that we were cutting down all these doggone trees, that we were doing this, and uh, throughout the throughout our country, we, we were bound to change the, 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 the climate approach. It's already pretty far along now into what, 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 what we were trying to avoid. 
And there's only one way to avoid it, and that's to stop using a lot of the materials that we have been, that are using for, uh, do, you know, doing things like driving cars and uh, no matter what it is, what what, uh, what it is that's this, this changing the world uh, te- uh, temperature system. Very much there. There are people I know definitely are working that problem, but it's it's a it's a it's a problem that has to be worked on collectively by the by the various countries of this world and stop fooling around with uh, you know North South Korea right now North Korea I should say is still doing things launching things and doing things that are very scary. Yeah. More so than than Russia. Russia's all Russia and the United States know how to handle those situations. They are but others are trying to get into the nuclear devices and all that. Uh the wrong way to treat this world. And there's no way that I know that we can stop it unless everybody wakes up to the fact that hey, look how much the world has changed in the time that we have grown up and gone through it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think okay. the, I think the challenge is the, I think most people are inherently good. I'm sure you've experienced that in your life. You know, most people are good and want a good life. But unfortunately, there's some bad actors out there that are in power that are making some of these decisions. That are, you know, yeah, it's, it's not that. It's the way the world is changing. The whole climate system has been changing. That's, and we all know that this is going to continue on unless unless we do something about the kind of materials that we're using and uh, all that kind of stuff to, to use uh, for heating and that, no you just for a living mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it can be done do you think if that's the biggest problem do you think that's the biggest it's it's well, the materials we're using like fossil uh, fuels and stuff to, to me that to me, because of the stuff that I was involved in, all this stuff is so, so realistic to me that I agree with what, you know, I agree with what those people who are sort of not only involved in there, but outside of that, who are very knowledgeable about things that are happening in space and all that, realize what we've done to change this uh, uh, world system that we're living in right now. And it's changing, believe me. I've seen that since I grew up watching what was happening, I've watched various bird uh, uh, things, you know, disappearing, all kinds of animals disappearing, uh, all these things that are happening because we are changing the way uh, the world system in terms of uh, weather, in terms of uh, uh, well, look at what's happening! All these tornadoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 it, to me, it would be very unwise of of, of no all the countries it, uh, that are in this world. To finally realize, hey, we have changed that system already quite drastically. 
sure, it might. These, all these things might happen after we're, most of us are gone, but they're going to continue on the way they are if we don't change the way we live. I don't, and I don't mean live. I mean the I, things that we use for make, driving our cars or drive, doing whatever is being done in various factories and things like that. And there are solutions to those things. They are. I mean, they're... It's just a matter of adopting them and using that instead of what we are. And uh, but you know, I don't, I don't want to sound overly. <laughs> well, no, you bring up a good point. Uh, one of the things. Yeah. One of these things, though, however, that's always been to me a very interesting and a very necessary thing this country is still doing. I never realized until I got into that work that there was so much going on that we were not aware of. There were places I had to go to. I had to get clearances, high clearances, just to go in there because I was working on something that needed information. Uh, So that is the one bright thing that I see for us is is these outfits that are involved in those kind of things that recognize the problems that I think most of us try not, try not to <laughs> but but I hope that everybody wakes up and works together yeah they got to stop this business of uh, Trying to do what I don't I don't understand why Russia even cares about the country they're trying to fight and get under their control. I mean, everybody, we should just work with what we have, what we need, cooperate with one another like we had been doing since the end of World War Two. But there are still countries that are just very, very opposite of everything that I think should be being done and Russia is one of them. Yeah. North Korea is another, very much so. And then, uh, but that's about all I know. I'm not, I'm not smart enough <laughs> enough to know what's going on. Now. <laughs> well, let me ask you what, let me ask you one question if I, if I can, cause your experience with nuclear, a lot of stuff I've been listening to re- recently is around, like nuclear energy, we really could harness that and that could be such a clean form of energy. But, you know, there's a lot of because of nuclear um, power plants. That have, oh, yeah, like there, that's there's the, a lot. It's the same thing that can be very, very dangerous. We already know how to harness nuclear energy for war, that's for sure. And we also know how to use it now for certain things that are uh, yeah, of any of help, you know, to, to uh, generate power and stuff like that, uh, but we but we are changing the temperatures around this around the world. I mean, everywhere that you take a look now, whether it's Australia, whether it's France, whether the the changes are very very evident. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about anything else but our atmosphere. 
Yeah, that's a, obviously a big concern. And, you know, it's kind of one of those big problems. Like, how do you solve it? How do you, as you mentioned, how do you get the collective world to kind of sign up for the right? Because I think everyone has their ideas. Our, it, yes, but it's a matter of energy sources and how they are, the things that are doing this to the world. There, we don't need, we, there's a lot we can do with resources to make them different, to make them not do not be the we've got to change our energy sources and they know let me tell you that that's not been left alone i mean people are working on that all the time and i'm sure that there's a lot of advances that have been made that we could get rid of the way that we get our power our power systems and all that and that that stop this, this problem with changing the world uh changing the atmosphere that's look what's happening to the rivers. Look what's happening to space. Look at all the dog god oh I I to me it's just it's just hard to hard having worked in the area that I work in, having seen the stuff that I see in it just it, you know, just absolutely scares me. Yeah. And I know there are people who are very diligent and very much no knowledgeable about those kind of things, and I know that they're trying their best to influence how we change our ways. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, and I'll kind of we'll kind of maybe end on this. And I appreciate talking through this. This was this is a lot of fun. What? So let's go back. So obviously, you've been on planet Earth for you know a hundred years. If you could give advice all that you've learned, all the things you've accumulated in your life, knowledge-wise, and let's say you're talking to a a young adult, could be even a teenager, it doesn't matter, someone that's in the younger part of their life, is there any advice, any kind of things you would encourage them to think about as they grow older? Anything at all. There's no right or wrong answer here, but I'm just kind of curious what you would share with that younger generation. Okay. There are so many different ways that human factors are really being. And I think the biggest problem with the, trying to do is get everybody aware of the kind of things that are going so that they could find ways that they can consider, you know, live with each other and to help these things. I mean, who? I, I've never seen so many different. Philadelphia, but all those places, how people behave is very, you know, the, the, the business of uh, white and black now, for example, and, and not only white and black, and the Jewish. Why are we so doggone what, get involved in hating each other instead of liking each other? I don't know. I don't know what to tell I know that I heck I've known and worked and for a lot of Jewish people out there. They're very smart. I find absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of what, how they live and how we live and how we can live together. The blacks, the whites, and who knows all all these other kind of. Uh, People that are living live, live throughout this world, 
almost all of us have to come to some final thing in knowing that there were not enemies of each other. We could work together. We could we we could make life on this earth. It just I don't know. We have not yet in all these ages and all found any other place yet in the world that even people can survive in. You know, we have our planet. How how far we go beyond where the end of beyond is, <laughs> and look through that. This world, when it dismantled itself, was it blew up and all that, cause a cause a little system variation in the world, not in that world, in this universe, and the universe is where we're exploring and that other countries are exploring and hopefully and we still yet have to find any place that uh, where life may still exist mm-hmm. in some way it's not saying that there is a place somewhere the, the universe is <laughs> where is it where is it endless or does it turn back on itself or whatever it does but I can't advise in anything. All I know is that somebody, first of all, I want to say that the only encouraging thing is that I know there are people who are very concerned with the system that we certainly have and are trying to work around all these things. And I don't know how we're going to convince places like South Korea, North Korea, Germany, no, not German, Germany's okay, but the world, the rest of the world, how we can, how we have to do, not only, oh, one thing, we are generating so many people, this country from the time that I was born, now has gotten so much more more people in it that there's some there's got to be a breaking point somewhere, you know, in how they how we can all survive together, uh, how we can provide together, how can we go to someplace else to to make uh, life go on. But that's for future people. <laughs> it's you and people beyond you who's gonna, who are going to have to be responsible for how this world can be. Yeah. And, but you've kept it simple. Treat others with respect and accept others' differences. And we could pretty much get along if we do those two things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why at the heck? Look what's happening in this country about the blacks and whites. Heck, I've known blacks. I know all kind of people. Blacks who I know are very, very intelligent. I've known a lot of uh, Jewish people. I've known a lot of black people. I've known there's no difference in us. And that's not, they are good changing the world. Why would people get to the point where they 
even whether it gets, whether it's France, whether it's Germany, whether it's Russia. I don't know what they want, what people want more. Why, why not take what we have, enjoy it, get to know each other. And I've enjoyed, I've gone to a lot of this world. And there's no place that I have not been that I've not seen people that I, I, I enjoyed and all that kind of thing. Why the heck can't we just stop? all our crazy things that we do. Look at, the, the thing that bothers me more right now is seeing the natural things that are happening in this country with rivers, with forests, with the weather, and with the animal life. Those are very big uh, indicators of how this, how we're affecting this world. And, uh, you know, I... I, I, I there are other people I'm, I know who are very much involved in these studies and know this stuff much more, much better than I do. I just see what I, I just see what I saw, seen through my lifetime, the things that I've done in my lifetime, the things that I've been involved in my lifetime, uh, and I can't, I can't even believe that I was involved in some kind of some of these things. God, that's it. <laughs> but there are people who are very knowledgeable. And I could I say this, I have to trust in the fact that I'm not going to be here in the very long. No matter what I do, I can't. Uh, I, I know I know what's going to make people wake up to, to the fact that we have blacks here that we've had for centuries. We have whites, we have Chinese, we have it. You name it. <laughs> People of every kind of nation. And yet there are, I've never heard such things about Jew, uh, the Jewish right now, the blacks and all. Why the Jewish? I, I've worked with them. I've known them for good friends. They're no damn different than we are. It's just a matter of what the differences are. I don't know. The color, the, the uh, things they believe in, or what. Yeah. But as far as living, they're no different than us. Yeah, wow. We're, we're, all, we're all human, <laughs> you know, if we just, like I said, if we just... Uh you know, think about how we treat each other. If we think about accepting each other's differences, yeah. you know, it's simple. Well, look, here we are, how to treat each other. The very fact is, why do we have to even think about why has not developed? We live in the same world. Mm -hmm. We live in the, uh, the same kind of conditions. The world varies quite a bit. Uh, you would do it. Why can't we just keep on living and enjoying our lives the way they were instead of worrying about what somebody else is doing? Uh, it's, you know, we all worry about ourselves, but I, I don't know how you get people to do things. I mean, how do you get North Korea to come out of that thing they've been in for years, still developing all kinds of weapons for causing all kinds of... I mean, when you when you come to nuclear weapons, you could see nothing else but the oral destruction. Mm -hmm. 
nothing. I can't see anything that that uh, we, that we'd be facing, other than the fact that we're not only changing it, we don't have to have nuclear anymore. We're changing it just with our every way of living and using power, using this, that, the other thing, when we could clean up this world and keep it going. Yeah. We've changed it. We've, it takes years to change. I mean, centuries and all that kind of thing. And we're not going to change anything at once, but we could be a start of the kind of materials that we are using and how, well, how we're punctuating it into the our living ways, just just the way the climate has changed throughout this world. I've seen it, and I'm sure that everybody else has seen it has lived any period of time. And you you probably are seeing it, but are not, maybe maybe not realizing it. And you're the ones who have to straighten things out. Yeah. Uncle Joe, let me ask you one last question. Okay. Do you have any regrets in life? Any regrets? I don't know. I I try to analyze my life in many ways. How did I get into what I got into? I can't even answer that. Um, I... I don't regret, I kind of regret that maybe I haven't done more to try to alleviate things. Uh, I don't know how I could have anyhow, but uh, I don't know how I even got involved in the things I got involved in. That just absolutely floors me. I don't know why, how, uh, how I got into what I got into. And, I go back over my life and I see things happen that happen, and, and I wonder how I was led into those areas. You know, it's not not anything that I knew about when I when I was growing up or anything. The only thing I knew about is I like doing this, I like doing that, I like all all kinds of things about life. And I hope everybody else is doing the same things with their own lives. Why they bother about somebody else's life is beyond me. <laughs> or just, you know, we're just uh, something is missing. We're missing the fact that we have a big effect. We, as a human factory, have a lot to do what we're doing to this world. And only us right now, I don't know about other worlds or anything else, are the ones who can wake up and notice that, hey, what, what the heck are we doing? What is this crazy way that we've approached our lives? I don't know. I don't know any answers to that. I don't know how people can just keep on warring how people just keep on. He's in this country. I just. How come we have this group that is so against the world, against us, against what's going on? 
instead of all joining together and seeing how we can make things better, I have not the answer. <laughs> all I know is somebody who are going to have to realize somehow, hey, like I did uh, when we lived in North and uh, up in, in Valley Forest. Just seeing various animals disappear, various bird types, those you know, disappear, how things are disappearing here and there, what we've done to the oceans and all that. We, as pop people who are living in this world, are the ones who are going to have to wake up and see how we can live together, how we can make this world more livable to keep it from doing itself. Become like the other the other planets. There's no nobody else on those planets. Are there other planets somewhere? Hopefully there are. Maybe there are not. But we have nothing. If if they are, well, they're too far away for there to be any difference for us, unless they're causing the kind of problems we are doing. Life is not an easy thing to assemble. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I, I haven't got the answer. Nobody seems to have it. Yet we have people that I know are very much aware of them. And hopefully it's people like those who have influence to try to bring things into view. You're not going to get blown out of this world. It's just going to change. The number of people that are coming into this world, I don't know how we can, how the world's going to tolerate them all. Uh, but there are more people coming and coming and coming. And we, uh, as a developed type of thing, people, and what we've done to the world compared to what animals have done to the world and what all kinds of things have changed. I think it's a matter of uh, just trying to go along and find out how we can make things live together and enjoy it. I mean, there's so much to enjoy in this world. There are so many things that we uh, have available to us. It's just a matter of learning how to use things, learning how to be help the environment be an environment that is tolerable instead of changing us into a, a vacuum. Uh, well, Uncle Joe, I think that's a great way to end our conversation. I think that's you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, is just enjoy life and yeah. try to make some positive changes that's each it. and every day. Just don't forget, yeah, don't don't hate that guy next door. Or don't think that they're the cause of love. The, the cause of these problems are just people themselves, no matter what 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 they are, what they are. And look at it's it's not just the whites. There there are whites against the whites, right? Look right. at that whole bunch. Of, look at the problem that we cause in our at. In our own country, in the last 20 years, all of a sudden, we've always had people who hate other people. 
Yeah, that's no good. <laughs> Why did they hit him? I don't know. But you just keep yourself together. Enjoy life. Do what you can to keep it going. And I don't know what else to say. I don't know the answer. Yeah. Well, I, Uncle Joe, I, I really appreciate th- this is... I know we spanned two conversations to get this in, but uh, oh my gosh, I learned so much from you and, and from the history that I didn't even know about, especially from your life. So I appreciate you sharing a lot of these stories. Well, I hope that there are more people like yourself, which, and I'm sure that there are, who are asking the same questions that we have, are trying to, to understand this world better and try to do things with it. Hey everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.